I'm going to read the text today. I want to pray, and I'm so glad that you're here today. I want to, um, I want to attack um, our desires as people today via this, via this scripture. Jesus asks a scathing question to us, and I, I want to just present that to us. So let me read this, and then I will pray. It's uh, Mark chapter 10, verses 46 through 52. There's a crowd kind of coming around Jesus. And they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples in a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And listen to Jesus' question. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Let's pray. And so, Father, we come right now, and I, I just, from a personal place, I say thank you for this community of people who want to be connected to you and to each other. And I just pray right now um, for your spirit to, to speak through me, um, to, um, to draw out what it is that we really want as people. And God, would you, um, would you give us that perfect tandem that you do of grace and truth, that you're so gentle with us, but you call us to follow you directly. And so, God, we bring all of who we are right now into the room, and um, we lay it before you and say, this is who we are, God. Would you make us like your son, Jesus? It's in your name we pray. Amen. Now, you may have heard this before, but Jesus was a masterful question asker. In fact, in the Gospels, it's recorded that Jesus asked 307 questions. Like Oprah and Anderson Cooper, like maybe good interviewers, but they have nothing when it comes to Jesus, right? The penetrating and pointed questions that he asks. Why are you afraid? Can any of the worrying in your life add value to your life? Where, where's your faith? Do you love me? Why do you have evil in your heart? Why did you doubt? Who do you say that I am? Now let's pick that apart for a second. Why is it that you and I ask people questions? It's because we're limited in our information, right? We don't have information. We ask a question because we're seeking to gain information. Not with Jesus. Jesus asks questions to trigger transformation. We ask questions to obtain answers, but Jesus asks questions to get at our motivations, to get at our assumptions, to get at that which we believe. And this is what I want to do today. I want to present a question to you that Jesus asks, and, and hopefully what it is is he's drawing out of us our own motivations and our own desires. And here's the central question for today in verse 51. What do you want me to do for you? Or if we were to simplify that down, what do you want? And so here's our pathway for today. We're going to talk about our desires. And I want to draw those out. Then we're going to question those desires. And so we're going to take this text like a microscope and look at our desires, and then we'll wrap up looking at the desires of Jesus. And so here's what's taking place in the passage. We really get this, this fascinating thing in verse uh, 46. It says, and they came to Jericho, and they left Jericho. You're like, okay, like, wh why even say that? Why don't you just say you're, like, heading on the way? And the point is, is that Jesus has actually been on a journey, right? We're in Mark chapter 10. We're in the middle of the book here. And so Jesus is on a journey, 
And he keeps telling his disciples repeatedly, here's what I'm going to go do. I'm going to go to Jerusalem, and I'm going to die, and three days later, I'm going to rise. And so it's sort of intermixed throughout the narrative that Jesus is saying, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to do. And then in the passage, what we get as, as Jesus enters Jericho is, is a blind man. And I don't, I don't mean to be stupid when I say this. Please do not forget that he's blind throughout this narrative. And, and the reason is this. This man understands his condition. He understands not only his physical condition, but he also understands his spiritual condition. And here's what I mean by that. Physically blind, yes. Spiritually, this man has vision. And he is an example to follow after. And Jesus, it, there's, there's a phrase in there, it says, son of David. And essentially what, what uh, blind Bartimaeus is saying to Jesus, and frankly, a lot of us are like, I've never even heard this story, right? Like, I don't even, I don't even know this character in the Bible, and yet we're hearing about him as, as, as someone to follow. But the, uh, what he's saying is, by saying son of David, he's saying, Jesus, I understand who you are in comparison to me. I understand who you are. And then we get to this central question in verse 51. It says this. Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man says, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. Now, at, at first pass, I'm thinking, Jesus, like, don't ask someone with an obvious impairment like what, what you want them or what, what they need from you. Like, it's just very obvious, right? But again, don't forget, Jesus is the master questioner. And verse 51 is sort of the, the central question as, as they end chapter 10 here. And... This is a question that Jesus asked pretty often. In John chapter 1, Jesus is just getting started. He's been baptized. Uh, and one day he's walking along the river. And um, John the Baptist is walking with two of his followers. And John the Baptist looks over at Jesus and he says, Look, look, behold the lamb that takes away the sin of the world. Like, and essentially what he's saying is like, stop following me and start following him. Like he's the one I've been prepping the way for. And what do they do? They start to follow him. And in John chapter 1 verse 38... Look at the question. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? A.K.A., what do you want? What do you want? And this is the question. People are drawn to Jesus. Like now and back then and throughout the ages, people want to follow Jesus. They're drawn to him. They're impacted uh, by his life. They think his ethics are worthwhile. They're drawn to Jesus, and what does Jesus ask as we are drawn to him? What do you want? I think this is so fascinating. Jesus doesn't ask, what do you know, right? Let me look at your resume. Do you have the proper qualifications to follow me? That's not the question. Because to Jesus, you and I are not just brains on a stick, right? We're not just people to impart information into, but Jesus actually sees us in a far greater light. To Jesus, we are not just thinking things. Jesus also doesn't ask, what do you believe? Do we align theologically, right? And don't hear me wrong. What we know and what we believe, it's not that those things are not important. It's just that that's not what Jesus asks. Jesus asks, what do you want me to do for you? Or what do you want? James K. Smith is a, a Christian philosopher, and here's what he says. He says, Jesus is a teacher who doesn't just inform our intellect, but he forms our very loves. He isn't content to simply deposit new ideas into your mind. He is after nothing less than your wants, your loves, and your longings. Read that again. He is after nothing less than your wants, your loves, and your longings. Jesus is about your desires as a person. 
And he keeps going. His teaching doesn't just touch the calm, cool, collected space of reflection and contemplation. He is a teacher who invades the heated, passionate regions of the heart. He ends up saying in this book, James K. Smith, he ends up saying, you are what you love. You are what you love. You and I are the culmination of our wants and our longings and our desires and our hopes and our dreams. And you might say, okay, Russell, what are you getting at, right? Why ask this question? Well, one, because Jesus asked it. But also, I think that this question, what do you want, is more pertinent than ever. Because we've been living through history for the past year and a half, and this pandemic is going to be a major marker in history for the ways that you and I think uh, about most things in our life. Uh, Think about the way you um, work or you think about work, the hybrid work. I was uh, reading on Monster.com the other day that 95% of workers have or are considering changing jobs during the pandemic. Uh, I read another article that said in terms of work in the pandemic, the the article was called uh, The Great Resignation, right? And you may be feeling that right now. You're like, yeah, I'm in the midst of transition with work or I have transitioned in work. But the pandemic, it it touched other areas of our lives too, right? The way that we view family, uh, the places that we live, the the way we think about money, the way we think about government, all of the above, the work-life balance that we live within. And so I think it's a beautiful moment to actually be asking, asking and questioning our own desires of what it is that we really, really want in this specific season of our life. What is it that we want or desire? And so I want to put this in front of you. What do you want? And if you want to take out your phone or, you know, you want to write it down um, and, and get real with yourself. It's not like, well, I want to go to Miami for the weekend. Like, yeah, me too. Okay. Like, I want that too. But like, take it, take it a layer deeper. I know, I know it's a broad question, but like maybe, maybe you'd sit here and you'd say, what do I want? I just want to be healthy. Like this, this pandemic has showed me that I'm, 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 I'm not healthy right now, and I, I want safety, or I want a simpler life. Or I don't know about you, I feel this a lot, but like I want peace. Like I want, I want a bit of reprieve from the anxiety and the decision-making that constantly keeps coming my way. I want to feel a sort of settledness in my soul. Some of us, actually, when it comes to our desires, we have to just be honest and say, I'm tired. Like, I'm, like, I'm really tired in my soul, and I don't, I don't know if I can, like, keep going on the way things are. Others of us would say, you know, actually, I'm, I'm really interested in just comfort in this season. Like, the pandemic showed me that I actually really like to, like, stay at home and be by myself, you know? <laughs> There's some of you out there. Don't lie, all right? For some of us, it's, um, it's deep relationships, right? We want a friendship or we're ready to be in a relationship with a significant other. We're, we're seeking out discernment of what that looks like. We're, you know, we're like healed up from the heartbreak and we're ready for deep relationships. Like, I don't want to go wide. I want to go deep. That's what I desire in this season. So I think that's kind of one side of it, right? Where like those are natural desires for us. God has wired us for a lot of those things. But then there's another side of it that sort of mix in with our desires, uh, I was talking to someone the other day, and I asked her, I said, so what, like, what do you want? Like, you just moved to New York, and like, what do you, she's like, I want to be famous. I was like, thank you, somebody that's honest, you know? And, and I, th- I think that's it. We actually have to go deeper. Like, we may want those things. We may want health or peace or like a new job, but like, take it deeper. What is it that you desire deep in your soul that you believe, like, if I had that, I would be complete and full? And so some of us are going to be honest and say, you know, actually, I do want that. I want to make a lot of money and be successful. And, and that would be the root desire. 
And I don't want to shame you with that. I want to bring that alongside the passage and see sort of how we discern and what that looks like. I've been talking to a lot of people that want to travel. And I think that this is actually really uh, an interesting way um, to get at our desires, to think about, I want excitement and I want adventure. Um, what, what, dig deeper, right? I want freedom. From what? From responsibility? Uh, from others? Like, I want to be this autonomous self where I don't have to, like, answer to anybody. I don't want anybody to tell me, um, you know, what to do. And I'm going to be real with you. If you actually do this work, it's going to be hard. It's going to require so much vulnerability. And the reason that I know this is I've been doing it all week. I, I, I sat down and I was like, oh, I love this idea. People are going to think I'm so smart by this. You know, this is going to be so great. And all of a sudden I'm like, but wait, what is it that I want? Like, what is it that I want in this season? And I was like, you know what? I, I want to lead a thriving and multiplying church. That's, like, that's part of my desire. I think that's part of what God has called me to do. Go deeper, right? And then I was like, well, I want my family to be proud of me. I want my mom and my dad to say, like, my son is doing this and he's doing great, right? I want to be considered competent and knowledgeable, right? I want to be seen as successful. And so you're just, you're just dropping down the layers and what are you finding? We're really complex, right? We may just want to go to Miami for the weekend, but maybe we want to escape something. The deep desires, right? This is what's horrible about writing sermons is you got to go first in it, okay? Why, though? What, what, what are, the, what is, what is, what are the, these desires? What are they coming from? And, and the truth is, is that, like I said before, God has created us in this way, right? He's created us as longing people that with desires and he's shaping. But let's pull back some of the layers and get real about our motivation. We need clarity in this area. And, and let me say it this way. God created us this way, like to, ha to have these desires. And, and, and they're not wrong, right? He created us to think about other people, to think about family, to think about work. We're created for these endeavors. And I don't want to uh, pick these apart and say, God didn't create you that way. Far from it. But for some of us in the room, we often feel unsettled in our lives and, and, and sort of um, um, we feel this wrestling, this tension deep within us because there's actually conflict in who we were created to worship. Here's what I mean. African theologian Augustine says, you have made us for yourself and our heart is restless until it rests in you. You have made us for yourself. What does it mean? It's a creation claim that you and I are not a pro product of, of, of randomness, but that we're created. And then our hearts are restless. And like all of us just seem to say, like, I'm guilty, right? Like I feel restless. Until when? They f my heart find its home back with its creator. And so let's take this desire. I don't know, you know, you're, you're, you're wrestling with me in your mind right now. Hold that thing in your mind, that, that desire you have. Maybe there's a couple. Maybe part of it is like, I want to affirm this in, in myself. But maybe part of it is like, I, I, don't, I don't love that desire in me. And I want that to change. Let's bring all of it to this text here. And here's what we find in verse 51. Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said, Rabbi, uh, teacher, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Jesus says, what do you want? The blind man says, I want you to heal me. What happens? He gets healed. And what does Jesus say? Go your way. And what does blind Bartimaeus do? He follows him on the way. It's, it's different, right? Here's, here's how one commentator said it. He said, Bartimaeus, sensing this hidden dimension in Jesus' parting words, uses the freedom that Jesus has given him to choose a life of discipleship, that just means following Jesus, 
With his restored vision, he perceives to be the logical consequence of the saving faith that has liberated from darkness. What does it mean? It means Bartimaeus wants to see so that he can follow Jesus. His motivations are clear. And you're like, well, like, that's good for him, right? Like, good for him. You know, I don't know about me, but good for him. This is not it. We'll, we'll miss it if that's it, right? If, if Bartimaeus is just an example, if the Bible is just an example for you to follow after, you will miss it every single time. Let me put this in context. The writer uh, of the book of Mark is um, placing this story here for a very specific reason. And if you don't understand a passage of Scripture or it seems benign to you or it seems boring, read it in the context. If you read the whole chapter of Mark chapter 10, we find that Jesus has been teaching and he's been repeating this phrase over and over and over again. He's telling like the crowds, his disciples, he's telling everyone and no one seems to be listening to him. And this is what he's been saying. I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to die. And three days later, I'm going to rise over and over and over again. And in the midst of that, in Mark chapter 10, verse 35, maybe you've heard this story before. It says this, and James and John, the son of Zebedee, came up to him. These are, these are guys who have been following Jesus already. And said to him, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, same question, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in glory. No one is listening to Jesus, right? Here's, what's, here's my trajectory. I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to die. I'm going to rise three days later. Disciples come to him. Hey, can, can we, can we like be like you? Can we, can we come in glory next to you? Can we be seen with you? And you know what Mark chapter 10 is really about? Mark chapter 10 is about three blind men, right? One physically blind and two spiritually blind disciples. And juxtaposed to each other, we have a faithful blind man who knows he deserves nothing and is healed and follows Jesus. And then on the other side is two entitled men who keep using Jesus. And, and I, I, this, is, this is, might hurt a little bit, but this is where we have to begin to, to push in. Because what these men are actually saying is, Jesus, we want to follow you, but let us know the benefits first along the way. And some of our desires actually just need to be uh, called out. And I want to I caution us here, right? Some of the desires that we have are God-given, and I want to I hold those there and honor those. And I'm not talking about those right now. Let's put those to the side. But some of our other desires, we actually need to call out for their mixed motivations, right? If, if, if we're willing to do the deep work, to, to go underneath uh, the Miami, right? If, we, if we're to pull that apart. Do we really want to follow Jesus, or do we want to kind of follow Jesus and get some benefits along the way? And I think for, for a lot of us, we're actually really good at compartmentalizing, right? Jesus, you can, have, you can have my family and my spiritual life, and I'll take any wisdom and discernment and critique in these areas, right? Stay there, Jesus, right? Stay there, Jesus. But when it comes to my finances, who I date, the way that I talk to my parents, stay out, I even think about the way that we think about Scripture. Like, if we're really honest, let's get real. Some of us are pretty selective with the Bible. Some of us are pretty selective with the Bible. Like, we're like, I'm good with these parts. I'm not so sure about that. And I'm not saying questions aren't valid or important, but what I'm saying is we use them for our benefits rather than submitting to them. Pete Scazzaro has been someone who's been really influential in my life. Uh, he writes a book called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And one of the things I, I really uh, saw... Uh, through uh, reading his books is that I'm pretty good at this as a pastor, actually. 
like I'm pretty good at using God. And I, I, I don't, you know, I don't want to call out a, a bunch of pastors here, but I, I can create a great deal of God activity in my life. And it's, it's, like a, it's like these flashbangs where people are seeing and they're like, wow, that's amazing, that's cool. But on the inside, I'm actually a mess, right? Where it looks really good and polished from the outside, but on the inside, the desires are completely off or selfish. Uh, Pete Scazzaro talks about some of these. He says that, um, that we know we're using God when we demonstrate Christian behavior so that people will think well of us. Or we use biblical truth to actually judge and devalue other people. Or we exaggerate our accomplishments um, for God to subtly compete with others. And some of us in the room are actually guilty of that. And that's why I say we have to peel back the layers to get to the desires to say that's what I want and to just be able to call ourselves out to say, God, you can actually come in and work here. Reshape my desire because I'm trying to use you. Or like how Dietrich Bonhoeffer says it. He says, discipleship is not an offer that man makes to Christ. Jesus calls us to follow him, not the other way around, but some of us are acting like discipleship is something we offer Jesus. And so let me just leave a question in front of you. You can take it, take it with you, something to think about. Um, but do you want God or his benefits? And thinking about the mixed motivations, right? Like parse some of those things out. And for some of you, you're arguing with me right now and you're saying, Russell, you're raising the bar too high. No, 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 that's, that, that's not what I'm saying. If you're saying, I could never live up to that standard, I'm saying, yes, you, no, you cannot live up to that standard. You're exactly right. But call yourself out and let God come and fix your desires, right? He wants your longings. He wants to shape the desires that you have. And for Bartimaeus, he's healed and his natural inclination is to what? Is to follow Jesus along the way. And herein lies what it means to follow Jesus. It means you forego your way and you say, God, your way is better than my way. That's what it means. That's what you're going to see in the baptismal tank in just a little bit. It's someone that's willing to say, not my way anymore. Like, I'm not Lord of my life anymore. I'm not the boss anymore. But there's more. Uh, verse 49. And Jesus stopped, and we'll, we'll talk about that in just a second, and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up, he is calling you. And then catch this. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. So in the Gospels, when, when, uh, when Jesus calls, it's an invitation to leave an old way of life and to enter into a new way. And so uh, if, you, if you're reading the Gospels, you find Jesus coming and calling the fishermen. Uh, you see uh, Matthew, the tax collector. I was just reading that passage this week. And, and what does Jesus say? Jesus says, follow me. And he left everything. He rose and followed him. And I'm like, what about the money on the table, right? No, he, he left everything and he followed him, right? Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the old has gone and the new has come. And this is what takes place in our passage. Bartimaeus throws off his old way of life. There's a really interesting way to think about it. Uh, in the beginning of the passage that I read, it says um, they come into Jericho and they leave Jericho. Well, I went and looked um, today, and it's going to be 106 degrees today in Jericho, in Palestine. And this guy has a cloak. It's like a, it's like a little jacket. You do not need a jacket in 106-degree weather, right? So what is that for? He uses it to beg. What he would probably uh, do is, is he would spread out, this blind man would spread out his cloak 
as a way of, of collecting money. It represents an old way of life. And it's his way of making a point. If there's things to leave behind when you follow Jesus, and, and if, if this is the hard part, if, if you're really going to get at your desires, like the, the bottom of them, um, Jesus' invitation is to, to, to walk away from some of those things, to like leave them behind because they're not for you. They're detrimental to your soul. They're detrimental to the people around you. You know it. And that's the question. What do you need to leave behind to follow Jesus? And again, I'm not talking about those desires that God honors. That, that, no, that's not it. There are things that are, we're, we're so complex. We're so deep. There's so much going on in us. And there are things that we need to leave behind. And so, what then is Jesus' desire? I love how one commentator put it. He said, our blind and begging condition make us ready. But it is the call of Jesus that raises us to the ground. Like, this is the prerequisite to following Jesus, right? To just getting real and honest about where we are, and he can, he can work with that. He can work with it, but, but we have to come clear about our blind and begging condition. And here it is in verse 49. This is our God. And Jesus stopped. That's it. Jesus is the God that stops. And yeah, he, he, he calls us to follow him, and, there's, and that's not easy. I'm not, I'm not trying to paint that picture today. I, I want to give a really nice balance of that today. But the order of this whole thing matters. Our following of Jesus never, never, never begins with us. It always begins with God and what God has done through his son, Jesus. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. We're just not like this. We're so unlike this Jesus who's so loving and so brilliant for us. Love is like a virtue. It's like a quality. It's like something we want to attain. But to this incarnate God, Jesus Christ, it is his very identity. God is love. This is who he is. This is why he stops. And the best part of this, it just kind of continues on, right? It just kind of continues on. Who follows Jesus? Bartimaeus? Yeah, he followed him on the way. James and John follow him on the way too. What? So Jesus can handle all your desires. He, he, he can he just bring them. This is why Augustine says, you've made us for yourself, and our souls are restless until they rest in you. Are you restless? That's the prerequisite, right? To, to be restless. And then what do we do? We follow him on the way. This is our journey, to just follow him along the way. To, are we going to have it all figured out at the beginning? No. I, I love the... Um, the way that Jesus hangs out with his disciples. Uh, in John chapter 1, uh, the passage that I read before, um, it says, they stayed with him until the fourth hour. I'm like, why all the details? It's because they spent the whole day with Jesus. And some of us, in order to get our desires really shaped um, by Jesus so that our longings and our wants and our hopes and our dreams and all those things are attached to Jesus, the, the way to actually get attached to them is to waste time with Jesus. That's what some of us need to go do today, is to waste time with Jesus, just to try and be with Jesus. Jesus, I want to be like you. I'm trying to figure out how it is that you would live in this world. It's so complex. I got so much going on, but I just want to waste time with you. Because when I waste time with you, I desire what you desire. I look like you. I want what you want. And, and I'm just going to be honest, what would that do to our city? Like if a bunch of people were just like little Jesuses walking around, just saying, I just want to waste time with Jesus and look more like him. That's what he's calling us to. And so, what are your desires? And how can you parse them out and say, Jesus, 
I present all of who I am to you. Make me like your son, Jesus. Let's pray. And so, Father, I love you, and um, we are complex, and there's a whole lot going on under the hood, even of our own consciousness. And I just pray right now that um, I'm sensing a stirring of, of you that there's desire for wholeness and um, completeness and this desire for mercy and healing. And I, I, would you honor that, God, be here now and by your spirit. Jesus, we need you. And as we wrestle, God, would you show us that we are so loved so that we can leave here and we can desire that. Give us over to our desires so that we could actually be restless enough to come to you and to say, you're all that I have left. I'll try. I come to you. I need saving, God, and I believe you're the only one that can do it by your son, Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.